This episode of The Gourmet Goober is brought to you by SoFoodie. That's foodie with a PH. SoFoodie is the go-to platform that highlights the stories and showcases the talent of brothers and sisters who are innovating and creating in the world of food and beverage. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at SoFoodie, that's foodie with a PH, or sign up for their email at SoFoodieWithAPH.com. JJ Outlaw. And T Outlaw. And you are listening to a new episode of the Gourmet Goober podcast. As always, you can find me on the Twitter machines if you are so inclined. I'm at JJ Outlaw. You can hit me up on Instagram at Gourmet Goober. And as always, I'm here every episode with my BFF, the big dude, that dude, even though it's weird calling you that dude, Big Daddy, aka T Outlaw. How's it going? It's going well. Hi, I'm the little <laughs> brother in the corner. I am T Outlaw. You can find Wait, me. Are you giving up on the Dark Desperado? I didn't add that. Well, it was going to be the tag at the end. But <laughs> okay. Since you wanted to go ahead and just jump the route, yes, I'm also the Dark Desperado. <laughs> so he is trying to make that happen. <laughs> yes. So you can find me, Dark Desperado, that dude, Big Daddy, whatever you want to call me. You can find me on Twitter at Tialaw, that's T-O-U-T-L-A-W, and on Instagram at Tialaw, Chelsea Wells, like the movie. If you want to drop us a line, please do. You can do so at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. You can check out our website. We do have one, um, seven years strong and going, at thegourmetgoober.com, where you can hear old episodes, check out old recipes, and all around good stuff. And wrap to the dark desperado. <laughs> He's so trying to make that happen. Yes, I am. I'm making fetch happen, kids. <laughs> anyway, if you are on Facebook, and we're not going to go into my reasons why, but I admit I am not a Facebook fan. But we do have a Facebook page. So you can go to the Gourmet Goober blog on Facebook because, you know, we started as a blog. And you can check out us there on Facebook as well. And, yeah. So welcome. I know we've been gone for a little longer than we have planned. But it has been, whew. It's been a month. It's been a week. It's been crazy. It's been hours. <laughs> so, let's see. Where do we begin? Let's break it up, chop it up for the kids, because it's been a minute. And why I like to say, uh, 
Wow. Um, a lot of things have occurred in the last calendar month. And within the last three weeks, we are still sheltering in place, but uh, we are still doing good. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, before we dive into the craziness that caused us to kind of just say, hey, for our own mental well-being, we're going to take a little break. <laughs> um, wanted to just share some good stuff because okay. it's always good to start with some good stuff. First of all, to all of you who've given us incredible feedback from our very first interview of Derek Kirk from SoFoodie.com. Wanted to say thank you guys for that. That was really a fun time. And we were really happy to have him on. So, again, thank you, Derek, for being our wonderful guest. Speaking of SoFoodie, we had something that was really cool. That um, SoFoodie recently put out an article of 20 Black women-led um, food and beverage podcasts you should listen to. And the gourmet goober was named as one of them. Yup, yup. <laughs> so I wanted to say hi to some of the incredible uh, podcasters that I got to know on Instagram after this um, article went viral. So hey, hey to Food Heaven, to Pro Food Maker, and pretty much all the incredible women um, Afro Beer Check. In fact, you know what? I'm going to put a link to the article in our show notes because. Obviously, there's 20 of us, and all of them, I've been catching up on their podcast, really incredible content, and some of them have reached out, and hopefully, we're going to be able to collab on some cool things, and it's really cool to be mentioned in that group, because here's a little factoid not everyone knows, because podcasting is a medium, only 22% of all podcasts, right, are led by women, and even fewer are led by Black women, so... To be in such a really cool group, I, again, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Yes. And the other thing, and let me just say, even though, obviously, it's named for the Gourmet Cooper, which is, wait, step back. Have we ever explained where the Gourmet Cooper comes from? Because I know Derek asks about it. Yes. And I thought I mentioned it on the show before. And we got a lot of new listeners, which we'll talk about in a minute. But some of you may wonder where the Gourmet Goober actually is. All right. Tell us, Gigi. <laughs> so the Gourmet Goober is actually a nickname that my father gave me many, many years ago when he taught me how to cook. So my father learned how to cook in the Marine Corps, and he was really excited about teaching all of us how to cook. So it used to be a thing, right? So we would hang out, we would make, you know, we would listen to Motown, we would watch old episodes of Star Trek from the living room to the kitchen, and we would just make everything. And so when it was my turn to cook, my dad called me the gourmet goober and it kind of stuck. Mm. So when it came time to name the blog years later, um, I just thought it would be kind of something fun. Um, at the time, the blog, remember the blog when we started, the tagline was, you know, story of a wannabe foodie in the hood. Yes, very <laughs> much so. And not much has changed. So, yeah, that's where the name comes from. And the reason why I said we have a lot of new viewers um, or listeners, rather, is another cool thing that has happened over the past couple of weeks is we got like. We like blew up in France, yo. 
Je m'appelle Le Tiala. Yes, so bonjour to all of our listeners in France. <laughs> Seriously, like now a third of our listeners live in Paris. Ah, quel Which is fabulous because I'm obsessed with French food. It is again, if people who like read the blog knows, um, obsessed with French food. Yes, you are. So, I don't know. We were talking about doing a live show. So, as soon as I saw that, I was like, you know, Big Daddy, we could go to France and do a live show, right? Yes, if they let us in the building. <laughs> they let us in the country. So, anyway. Les maisons. <laughs> hello the to all of our incredible listeners who really, um, this has been kind of a blessing in a way. Um that we've been introduced to a whole new segment of foodies. So again, to all of you, thank you for listening. Thank you. So now that we got the good news out the way. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> yes. Merci beaucoup. And you know, the sad thing, just as a side note, I did remember in college, I studied French, French, mm-hmm. right? And I can't remember half of it now. It's really sad. I took two years of French in high school. Don't remember a single word. You know, and the sad thing, the closest I remember I am to being fluent in it now is obviously Creole is different than French, but there are some French influences in it. When I was in grad school, I dated someone who was of Creole descent and he taught me how to speak Creole. And now the only thing I remember are all the curse words. <laughs> yes, so I can cuss you out in Creole, which I won't do on the podcast because I know some really bad ones. So, I know some dirty words in American, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they are really, really bad. Like, yeah, I've been told using me not them. To use them. <laughs> Trust me, I will make use of them in this next segment. You know what? Speaking of the next part of this segment, I think honestly, we've been trying to sugarcoat. Yeah, we're we're. Like there's what, there's yeah. no easy way to talk about it. Um, so we're just going to dive right in. Um, again, for many of us, you know, the George Floyd um, death and the subsequent protest and things have been weighing heavily on us. And I know that when the video first came out, I'll be honest, I really tried as long as I could to not watch the video. Um, I remember when I saw it online um, and people were talking about it on social media. And for me, it just sort of replayed the whole Flynn, the issue with Philando Castile. Remember when he was killed? Yes. And just the aftermath of that and the little girl that was in the car when they shot in the car, my God. And she was comforting her mother. That just broke me. And I just remember experiencing that and just feeling my soul just leaving my body. And so to watch a video where for eight minutes and 46 seconds, some asshole decided that, his life had no value and without shame, without worry, without any fear of being um, punished in any way, he sat there and murdered that man in camera. That was just for me, 
that was just unconscionable. And the more I read about the story and what happened, and you see the other videos where there are other cops who just sat by and watched it happen. At first I was like, okay, just like with the Philando Castile incident, I have grants to write. I have things to do. I, I'm working from home. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I tried to compartmentalize it so that I can function and, you know, do the podcast and do the planning and all of that. And I just remember just sitting at a table between Zoom calls for work. And I just broke down. And I just had like the biggest meltdown where I started to cry. And I know Big Daddy came over and he was comforting me. And we just kind of gave ourselves the space to say, you know what, emotionally, as I'm sure a lot of Black people are doing right now, we need care. We need to kind of just have a moment and be quiet and be still and just love on each other and just mourn another life loss. And it just felt like so much after Ahmaud Aubrey's passing, how he was murdered in cold blood and nothing happened to the guys until the video came out. Or poor Brianna Taylor, she was asleep in her house. Dude, they, they had a no-knock warrant and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take over your spot, Big Daddy, no, but no, go ahead. They had a no-knock warrant and they broke through the door with a battering ram and they were sleeping in the bed. And of course her fiance shot up because I just kept thinking, if that was us mm-hmm. and someone broke into the house, yes. of course you'd want to protect me. You didn't know who those they didn't know who those people were. Mm-hmm. And they shot her eight times while she slept. This was an essential worker. This was someone who worked in the healthcare um, industry. This was someone who was dedicating her life to saving others. And she died so needlessly by police brutality. And I'm, I know for me personally, George was like, the, was it. And for a lot of people, George was the standing point where everyone said it was too much. Right. And to see what was happening afterwards with the protest and things. And it just, it just felt like a lot. So we just kind of just said, you know what? Maybe we should just take a step back. And so we did, we took the weekend off. We ate a lot of ice cream. We tried to avoid the news. Um, Even though it, Sorry to tell you, the news permeates the walls. No matter where we go, if you turn off the TV, it's in the streets. If you just go get some ice cream, it's in In the the streets. streets. It's on the radios. It's on everything. It it just, you couldn't escape it. And it it was really, really difficult. Um, I don't want to do all the talking i know that you had some things you wanted to say as well yes yes i did i was like the gourmet goober i was uh shocked i was saddened i went through a lot of different stages in the last few weeks even within the last week i mean because every day there is a new story but 
I'd had time to compose myself. And for the moment, I decided just to just say this. I just have a few distinct talking points, and I'm going to keep this as simple as possible because I'm sure the world doesn't want to hear my words. There are a lot of people whose words are as good or better conveyed than even I. That being said, I, as an African-American male, as a black male, as a member of a community, just say this, I am within this country, what, 13% of the population? Right. I'm part of one of the, yes, 13% of this population, but we don't know how many people are affected by the current COVID-19 pandemic that we're African-American or Latinx. I am part of a group of people who have been assailed in the streets for over 400 years here in this country, but straight up and down is at a certain point is too much. And for those who seek to understand, it's not for me to tell you whether or not you like, you know, you're at the point of understanding because if you were at that point, we wouldn't be at this point right now. But once again, bullet points, first and foremost, we are all human. I know that the goober wasn't feeling it when I first said, you know, I was taken from the human league saying, hey, we're only human. But I accept that we are all human. And that includes the people who are in the streets. And that also includes the people who are as you will say, are tormentors, including those who are police officers. They are not above the law. They are human just like us, but it would really be in their best interest to understand that they are human and they are not one above the law, but two, they are not God-given executioners. It doesn't work like that. They're not the judge, jury, and executioners. They are not the judge, jury, and executioners. We understand you have, you've been pressed upon, but at a certain point, all we as this community want to do is live. And there are others that have been given consideration far, far more leniently than those. We're not animals. I'm sorry to tell you. You treat dogs, cats, bunnies, I don't know, better than you treat some of the people that you interact with. So let's start off with just treat us like we're human. Let's start that way. That's one. Two, we, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to jump from my talking points and just say this. We really are just, we just want to do what we can just to be good people. And I know that the riots are making people all crazy, but all we want to do is we just want to live. And all we want to do is do our time. We've been accommodating for a long time, for as long as we've been here. At a certain point, being accommodating, whether it be in the streets, whether it be in the stores, whether it be held, just, just living our lives. At a certain point, accommodation goes out the window. You know, it's time to, like, change the narrative. Three, for this thing to work, 
we all need to be a little uncomfortable. I mean, everyone. I know that <clears throat> our uh, HUD uh, secretary, uh, Ben Carson, who is, you know, for what we know to be a very, he's a very intelligent man. He once said, or at least fairly recently said, that we all need to get over being offended by everything. Partially true. It would really help to be a little less offended. But we're all going to A, have to be uncomfortable, and B, I'm not taking shots and getting political, but if the HUD secretary wants to say that, you know, it really would help to start with his boss and the people around him. For us to have to lead, it also takes good leadership. So it would really help to start with leadership, but it would also help for us to be, well, we all got to be a little uncomfortable. That's first and foremost. Next, for all those people who say, okay, we're learning, you know, about what's going on. You learn what, you know, the schools teach you. You learn what your parents taught you or your ministers. Well, we all need to relearn because American history is really just a, a linear curve. We need to open up all the books. I mean, we need to learn Black history, Latinx history, Native American history. Hell, for those who are like, you know, come from Israel, those who come from Thailand, we need to learn everyone's history for us all to grow. And not only learn it, embrace it, immerse ourselves in it. We all need to come together as one and do better, be better be ourselves, and go forward. Also, well, actually, you know what? I'm just going to cut off this. This is the Gourmet Goober podcast, and I'm going to hand it back to the Gourmet Goober. But I'm just going to say this. I learned that, you know, actually the Gourmet Goober learned this before I did. Food is an international language. We all speak food. We all learn, you know, because we all have different tastes. And I know this is corny, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You know, we all need to learn to season our stuff. I mean, really season it. Not just, you know, as some people do, sprinkle a little bit or pinch right here. Okay, that may work in some spots. But for us to really get the flavor of things, we got to season it. I mean, learn all kind of different flavors. That's season it. it. Season are you, it. Are you talking about with different knowledge? You can call it wherever you want. Yes, different knowledge. Okay, I'm I'm just I'm just saying that for the audience who are just like, wait, he was talking about something, and now he's asking about about paprika. Food? Yeah, <laughs> paprika, chili we'll, powder, everybody. We'll, we'll dive into that later. Okay, but, but I think what you're really trying to say is that for far too long we have not we have been denied being part of the national conversation, whether mm-hmm. it be our history, whether it be our traditions, whether it be our identities, we are not part of that. Sure. And I, I think what you're seeing now with some of the people, you know, and I've seen people complaining about rioting and taking down some of these motherfucking racist statues and shit like that. 
Mm-hmm. This is this is like a a response to you know what we are done. We are done not being part of society, which is maddening because when you think about how much of society we create that we built that we built that black and brown people have consistently have it taken from us. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm talking about everything as small as like, you know, when you think of things like rock music and country music, those all were invented by black people, people. Um, When you think about so much of culture was built off the black. I mean, literally this country's great introduction to industry and wealth was done off of our backs. Mm -hmm. And what you're seeing right now, for those of you who are just freaking confused right now, what's going on, you're seeing over 400 years of, we have had enough patience. Seriously. It, it's like, I didn't, for those of you who have HBO and have recently watched, may have recently watched an episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. I'm a really big fan of the show. I, I think he's really funny and insightful. And a couple of weeks ago, he had an episode where he was talking about what was going on right now. And he was explaining to his audiences how even the existence of policing it initially started and had its um, initial foundings and maintaining order for slave owners. That's essentially why it was set up. Hmm. And yes, we all know officer friendly only I grew up in the Midwest. And so officer friendly came and visit us all the time. But what officer friendly didn't say was his role in disenfranchisement, even after slavery. So when you look at, for example, like if you watch the movie Selma or you educate yourself on our rights to vote or things like that, who helps keep those um, racist um, laws in place? Why it was your friendly neighborhood officer friendly. Mm-hmm. So yes. Yeah, so for our culture, the, the, the police, and let me just say, I'm not to the point where you may hear someone talk about completely disbanding the police. I understand that there are good police officers. But that said, none of those were around George Floyd that day. And mm. none of them were around Brianna that day. And those people, who, police who came and investigated Ahmaud Aubrey's death, who was shot in cold blood, they just said, I, and just went back their business and didn't arrest those people. Where were them? So what you're seeing and now all of these people are freaking the hell out because these police officers in the protests, they're whooping your ass the same way they've whooped our ass all these years. Yes. Welcome to the party. You get to see the life on our side of things. I mean, and this is the part that's really hard for me to talk about because, and we don't, okay, we don't, we don't script our podcast, obviously. If you listen to our podcast, I say um way too many times scripted. You know. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. You know. Or anyway, that's my favorite. Anyway. But I was really grappling 
we do have meetings about how we structure the podcast before every episode. And in talking about this, I was really grappling with me being honest with our listeners about how I feel about this. Because on one hand, there's a certain amount of hurt that I'm going through. And I feel the collective pain when I see the people protesting and the parents and the loved ones and everyone raging. Because I feel very connected to my community as a Black woman. Yes. And I feel that. I also have a very unique experience growing up where at one point we left the neighborhood we lived in. And then I spent the second part of my childhood in a neighborhood that's majority white. And the differences between those two experiences were night night and day. And on one hand, I'm very grateful for the experience because it got me into a really great school system and things like that. But the other hand, it was very disparaging because, you know, living in a place where everyone says they're colorblind, but they're not colorblind. Well, I'm just going to be honest. And y'all, you're going to hear some cuss words. But seriously, it's kind of a fucked up experience for me in many respects. Because I went through the experience of being the token one and hearing how everyone, because they feel comfortable with you, talk. It it was kind of hurtful, you know? And the whole idea of well, spending yeah, yeah. spending time with people and like you go shopping and you're the one who's followed. Yes. Or you're like one time, I'll never forget, I am a huge fan of musicals. A lot of people don't know this. In fact, my very favorite musical is My Fair Lady, um, Pig Man. Pygmalion. And so I had a chance when I was a teenager to go to Carmel, Indiana, to go see My Fair Lady at their new um, high school. About to lose all your fans in Carmel. I have no fans in Carmel. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we have no listeners in Carmel. Okay. <laughs> Except it's family. <laughs> but I remember going and I was already feeling uneasy anyway. And I was the only black person with all of my friends and we went there. And first of all, we went and I remember it being weird because I quickly realized in that entire space, I was literally the only black human being there. So I was like, look, if y'all get lost, look for me. And they're like, why? And I'm like, cause I'm the little yeah, brown marble black. here. Okay. Y'all That's can right. find me easily. But then I am Black Waldo. <laughs> but then when we were driving and we pulled over and we went to get, we were running late because the play ran late. And so I wanted to let my father know that we're on our way home. And this is before cell phones. So we had to go to McDonald's. Of course, all the black people were at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Carmel and Anio. Um, But as we were calling, a cop came up. And I guess the cop had also saw me in the car when we were leaving Carmel and had a question as to what I was doing there. Okay. Dude, I just went to go see a musical. 
right? And just the fear, just that sense of fear. And my other friends had no idea about it, right? And just living in that space all the damn time to the point where now is you're seeing people. And I think what happened is, going back to now, is we're in the pandemic and a lot of people are shelter in place and they have no place to go and there's no sports on. So you can't pretend like it's life is normal. We all saw the same shit that that man killed that man in cold blood. And for the first time, they couldn't explain it away. And it just brought back feelings of, you know, how many times I've expressed our fear about just existing. And it was very hard as a husband and a friend to be able to, to soothe, to soothe your soul. Right. When I have the same fears. Right. And just for the first time, like hearing back from people again, I'm grappling with how I'm feeling. Cause on one hand I'm like, okay, welcome to the party. Thank you for finally seeing that what we have told you as a community has been happening for a fucking long time. Mm-hmm. A long time. Generations. On the other hand, I'm pretty enraged. There's a part of me that's angry because I'm like, you love me as a friend, but you think I was bullshitting you? I mean, all the times that we got in and went shopping in the store and you saw someone following me and not once that you say something because it's just something just just accepted because I'm one of the good ones because they know me. You are one of the good ones. You know what I'm saying. Yes. And even to the point where with previous incidents, like going back to Philando Castile, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget that because I had this really big interview. It was back when I was freelance writing. And it was this interview with this guy who has been on HDTV and and he was um, I was writing an article for him for a magazine and I just couldn't stop crying and I just I was like, how am I going to get through this? And thank God he like emailed me at the last second. He had a project that ran over. So we had to reschedule. And I was so grateful because. You were in a scary place. Yeah. I didn't know if I could form words and talking to him on the phone. Yeah. And so I remember I wrote something about it and I shared it with my friends back when I used to be on Facebook more. And just like the people who brushed it aside, like. It was Tuesday. It was just Tuesday. And some of you listening right now are just waking up for the first time to the collective pain and hurt that your black acquaintances. And I say acquaintances because Thomas and I had a, T and I had a really big conversation about friendships, right? And there are people that were in our lives for a long, long time, like people who've gone to our marriage and have been with us like all of our lives as we've found our way to each other and all of that. I mean, people who are really part of the fabric of who we are as adults, who at the same time 
when we're sharing this pain of this is something that is real. Do you not understand that every time we leave each other, I mean, when we would go to work, we would actually say a prayer of protection Yes. so that we would see each other again that night. Because I never know if he leaves, if he's going to come home to me. And I'll never forget one of the people who I was really close to just kind of laughed it off and said, oh, that won't happen to him. He's a teddy bear. And I'm just like, I don't understand how we could be so close. And you just live in a totally different world where it's like a Tuesday. And meanwhile, we are literally like can't function or we're expected to function all the time it's very hard to say to your bride every day you know i love you i pray for you and it's almost as if you're almost saying goodbye every single day yes yes it is and we're not the only ones and so seeing now how people are now waking up to this being our part of the experience has been very surreal because part of me is just like, okay, well, better late than sorry. But the other part of me is just like, have you been gaslighting me for a long time? Or maybe you just live in a bubble that's just so perfect and serene that it just never affects you. Cause it does us right. I mean, part of it is generational. I know for me personally, I have family who lived in the deep South. My mother's from the deep South. My mother was raised by my great grandfather, who was actually the youngest son of a freed slave. I was very fortunate. I knew my great grandfather, um, Johnny C. May. Um, I was very fortunate that he was in my life until my junior year of college. So he was in his 90s when he passed. And he was very honest with me about, you know, picking cotton and some of those experiences. And so when I say it's generational, it is, right? And so now we're living where we're turning on television. Sorry for talking so long. I guess I had to get this out. But like turning on television and seeing people, oh my gosh, and this is something that's happening. And you see all of these um, businesses that are coming out and saying, we believe in Black Lives Matter. And it's this like, we have been telling you this for a very long time. So I, I guess on one hand, I'm, I'm glad that you're there with us now. And I hope that what that means, because you're seeing protests all over the world in France and England and Germany. And Australia. And Australia, people coming together saying enough is enough. They're doing things like taking down statues that their asses, as a side note, those statues shouldn't have been there to begin with. Seriously. There are more statues and remembrances of people who are Confederate soldiers going up against uh, this country than there are, and this is in the U.S. Capitol, than there are of any black women. Right. So, yeah, it's a harsh thing to, if you really think about it. The one thing I will say about this, and I like to thank those people who, 
quote unquote woke up. I'm going to give you the news cycle to stick with it. But I think the one thing about this current moment that bothers me personally is the fact that seeing all these hell people jumping, you know, and saying, oh, yes, Black Lives Matter when, you know, a year ago. That was a dirty word. I'm sorry, a dirty set of words. Oh, yeah. But the thing that I had to tell the gourmet goober that I'm that may shock some of my friends and just general people I deal with on social media, you're going to have to bear with me because I don't trust you at all. Oh, yeah. At all. And that's the thing, that, because I'm a fairly get-along type of guy. I just want to do my my thing and get off but i don't trust a lot of people right now at all you think you know black lives matter do the work exactly keep it going and i mean this involves everybody some of my you know some of my skin folk included some of my latinx you know friends and acquaintances and especially all the people who don't look like me at all Please continue to do work, continue to protest, continue to rep for us because we can only rep for ourselves so long. It's going to be other people that have to do the work to help us. But please forgive me if I'm not as accommodating to you from the get from the beginning because I'm sorry to tell you, shit, I don't trust everybody right now. And you know what? That brings up a very good point because. Again, I don't want to, I I think it would be unfair if I didn't say that no matter what caused the awakening, at least people are moving. I mean, there's lots of instances like, for example, um, Bon Appetit. If if you guys are familiar with Bon Appetit, um, they have a very popular YouTube channel. They produce a lot of video content. Um. Their ed- executive, ed- their editor in chief, recently resigned because he was found wearing blackface. Um, but more importantly, there are people who are working there who are speaking out now because they put out a statement saying "Black Lives Matter," and then finally their employees are like, "No, actually, they don't." And come to find out that Bon Appetit's Here's your reminder. <laughs> Take my medicine. Knew something was going to come up. Alexa, stop. Hi, kids. That was our Alexa. <laughs> We're recording in our living room. <laughs> so anyway, as I was rudely interrupted by the echo. <laughs> Continue. Come to find out, they were not paying their black and other people of color to appear in their videos. Only the white people. And they got caught out on that shit. Refinery29 is another organization that got caught off recently for their shit. Anthropology, oh my God. Anthropology made a Black Lives Matter statement and got caught out by current and former employees that said, not only does Black Lives not matter to you, you're just saying that because you feel it's time. But there's actually a special code word you use when black shoppers go in called NICKS, N-I-C-K-S. 
And I happen to know this is true because this happened to me at the um, um, anthropology store at Block 37 in Chicago. So that's why I don't shop there. Um, I just thought it was because all their clothes were skinny minis. Well, all their clothes are skinny minis, but they do have some really cool, like, vintage, um, like, cooking stuff. And, you know, I'm obsessed with that. But I just didn't want to give my my ducats because I'm just like, you know what? When you're knocking things over to follow me, maybe you're just going a little too hard. Um, so there are a lot of organizations right now that are rightfully being dragged to the pits of hell for saying one thing, but are really tool using whatever is necessary to essentially become tools of white supremacy through their policies, through their leadership, through the way they treat their employees. And quite frankly, people have had enough. And we've reached a point now where going back to what you said, um, and if you guys, if you have a chance, listen to the interview that Conan O'Brien recently had with W. Kamal Bell. He said it plainly. You have to show your work. It's not enough to say that Black Lives Matter. You got to be about it and actually look and see how are we breaking down these systemic barriers that we have benefited with in order to make it a truly equitable society for all. Because when you think about it, how much exists from like redlining to how different policies, like the original GI Bill. The original GI Bill was not meant for Black veterans. I know Black veterans, including some that I'm related to, that were excluded from the GI Bill and some of its rulings, even though they were asked to go over to a different country to defend their country, only to come back and be treated like shit. And then all that stuff that was made to encourage and increase institutional wealth didn't apply to us. And again, this goes back to my anger. I'm like, you you saw that. So all of you people who are like crying and saying, oh my God, I didn't know. Dude, you're 60. You've seen the colored only bathrooms. What do you think that was for? You think we wanted that? No. So I'm I'm wrestling how I feel about this right now. And I can only say that there's a sense of gratitude, but also a sense of what took you so long to see my humanity. And I hope that it's something that going forward, hopefully you can learn to see my humanity. We can hope. The one thing I will say is that part of what's going to move this forward, if you really, once again, want to do the work, realize that this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yes. And we've been running this marathon for a long time. Our legs are tired. Our backs are tired. We've been carrying this for a long time. So really, we want to pass the baton, but we don't know if we can trust you to carry it. Because once again, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And for those who want to help, be willing to carry that baton for us and help us because we do need it. Right. Maybe it's probably best to end this going over a couple things. things. Um, 
in putting this together, I was even thinking about talking about things like the NFL and too easy. Even as easy as, oh, we have a black bachelor now, even though we told you for 18 years. Um, I'm not going to do that. Worthless. Right. I, I, I am going to say. I've had some really good communications with people. And I want to say that even though part of me is really hurt, um, I do want to acknowledge the fact that I have some people in my life, people that I've known a while who have reached out and express, you know, I'm really sorry for not saying something. I'm really sorry for not using my voice as I should have as for advocacy. I'm really sorry for not realizing the privilege that I live in. And I want to say for those people who reached out, in fact, I had one in particular that was really, really, um, impactful it's actually it's a former boss of mine okay and he just reached out and he said you know i just want you to know that your life matters and you. and <laughs> you matter and i know that this must be a hard time for you right now and the really cool thing he did was he also said you know what i'm not going to burden you you don't have to respond back to me I'm sure a lot of people have reached out to you and I don't want to put that burden for feeling to respond. This is simply me saying to you that I'm acknowledging that this is probably a really tough time for you right now. And I just want you to know that I realize that for you. And I have to say that, and this individual, I worked with him in justice work. I was really blessed um, to do a lot of justice work prior to my current engagement now with domestic violence. Um, so that was really thoughtful. And for those of you who are listening who may not know what to do, and I'm sure you probably are thinking, a couple things that I will share with you. Okay that I will sh I used to share when I gave, um, I worked in justice work, particularly with young people. First of all, I told them that it's important to say something, that everyone has privilege. I have privilege as a black woman. Um, I'm a cisgender black woman and I have privilege over um, black trans women and men, particularly women who unfortunately are dying at just unbelievable um, amounts right now. So when we say Black Lives Matter, we have to be intersectional, by the way, and include everybody. And this is important. Um, so using my voice to do that, the students were expecting you to do the same thing. And those listening, we want you to do that as well. It is important for you to know it is not the job of the oppressed to end this. Okay. It is not the job of the oppressed to make you feel bad, better about it. It is not the job of the oppressed to break down systemic white supremacy. Everyone wants to be an ally, but your job is not to be an ally. Your job to help break down systemic racism 
and what's going on is you need to be a co-conspirator. The difference between an ally and a co-conspirator. Is somebody's got to drive the getaway car. Yes. So oftentimes allyship is something that you do that a lot of time the work is centered on you and what you do and how you help that individual. I'll give you an example. You're building a house, right? Mm-hmm. And you ask your friends to come help. Friend one comes by when the house is nearly completed, takes a hammer and nail, puts a nail on the wall, and hangs and hangs a picture. Person two comes, helps you build up the structure, helps you measure everything out, helps stay for like the installation of all the good shit, like the electricity and the water and stuff. At the end of the day, they both help you, right? Mm-hmm. Both of them can say, I was an ally in putting together the house, but who was the real person who helped? Is it the person who just put in the single nail or is the person who did the hard work with you? I would say at the end of the day, you would say person two, right? Yeah. It is not your job to name yourself an ally. You need to go to the group of people, the marginal, historically marginalized population that you are advocating for, you need to let them lead you in the fight. Maybe that person who nailed in the, put the nail in the wall thought that's what that person needed. But let me tell you, oftentimes in working in justice work, what a lot of times people think those experiencing incidents of homelessness need, for example, those experiencing food insecurity, if they had asked the people in that situation, they would told you something different. It's not your job to do that. Pins um, and boxes. You know, right. Are all a good start, but not like, cons- you know, consistent. So oftentimes allyship is centered around the individual and being a co-conspirator is that person who's in it with you in the trenches. Does dirt. And ending this conversation, I'll just say that so many of you jokingly say that you want to be invited to the cookout. Well, guess what? This is the cookout. Okay? Prove yourself. Yes. Do the work. Educate yourself. Google is free. Do not burden your friends of color um, asking them to teach you how to be better people. But you know what? If you're a friend and not an acquaintance, you would acknowledge that this is going on you would say something to them without any type of expectation for them to respond back to make you feel good. Because again, it's centering your feelings in doing that and not the needs of the individual. Bring a steak and not that funky ass potato salad. (laughs) Yes. Bring steak and not the potato salad. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) So. Also, it would really help in this situation. If your voices are so damn strong, please use them. When you see something, and I mean, even if it's a little thing, don't be afraid to say it. Say it and say it loud. Since you want to advocate for calling the manager or asking to speak with your manager, ask to speak with the manager for someone who is disenfranchised. And don't be afraid. Hell, you never know what it leads to. It might be helpful. It might not. But hell, at least you did it. And that's the thing. It's going to take all of our voices because think about it. We have been telling you for over 400 years this has been happening. 
ships have only been moving when you started to add your voice to ours. It is not our job to dis- as Black Americans to dismantle white supremacy. And to be honest, whether or not you consider yourself to be racist, there are many people in this country who benefit from that. Mm-hmm. So it's important to be honest with yourselves, be honest with your black friends and family members that are maybe in your lives, but more importantly, it's important to do the work and it's going to be uncomfortable. You know why? Cause change is uncomfortable. Change is always meant to be uncomfortable, but it doesn't mean it's not worth the effort. It just means that you have to push through the discomfort. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk about our pop culture segment called What's Eating Us, where we will be celebrating Juneteenth. So you are listening to The Gourmet Goober, and we will be right back. Do you know who struggles with creating ideas? People who are actually creative. But do you know what really sucks about being a struggling creative? It's that frustration of starting a new skill, the unbearable phase of being stuck with new ideas, and of course, never knowing when or even how to make a profit from your ideas. You know that feeling, being a jack of all trades, but master of none. Well, the Conscious Creative Corner podcast is the podcast where real creatives share their secret formulas on how to be irresistibly profitable in their field. So that way you can be a jack of all trade and a master of your money. So if you're ready to leave behind the frustration and exhaustion of not knowing how to live profitably, head on over to the Conscious Creative Corner podcast, where you can gain the skills you need to be a successful magnetic creative. Find it now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM. This is JJ Outlaw. And T Outlaw. And we are back with the Gourmet Goober podcast. We are here with the segment that covers the intersection of food and pop culture that we um, call What's Eating Us. And this week we have three stories um, that we wanted to cover and share with you. Um, The first one, (laughs) we're a little late to the party and talking about, but it's no less funny and important. if you guys were on Twitter, I would say, what, about a couple weeks ago? Fair enough. Yeah, because we were going to talk about this before we decided to dip out and just take a mental health break for the episode. But um, there is a Twitter account called Today in Sports 3 that had tweeted out around the end of May this map that was created by another media company called Cheddar. If you guys haven't heard of Cheddar, I always like to call Cheddar like the millennial version of CNBC. So they mostly have like market stuff and then, you know, how to look good in your skinny jeans. (laughs) All the stuff that you need to know, right? But anyway, they put out this crazy map that was titled America's Favorite Fast Food. And a lot of people were really concerned about it. Not only did it have like fast food and locations that didn't exist. So, for example, um, In and Out Burger, which is a very famous burger chain 
Um, that is hella good, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're on the West Coast, right? Um, yeah, because the only way we got one was we had, actually had to go to Vegas. Right, that's right. We were like, we're not leaving Vegas without an In-N-Out burger. So we it was went so like, good. Didn't we go like <laughs> at midnight? No, we didn't go at midnight. It seemed like it was midnight because they have those like crazy like light things. But no, oh, yeah. it was like midday. We went during the midday. Yeah, because remember we had to wait forever. Okay. We went like when they right when they opened. I was too busy gambling. <laughs> After a while, it all ran together. Yeah. But if you know anything about In and Out Burger, you know that it's only on the West Coast, right? But according to this map, the favorite In and Out Burger was like the favorite of two locations where they don't even exist. Right. So um Nebraska and North Dakota. Like oh, there's yeah. no In and Out Burger in either state. Yeah, no kidding. I would love to see one like in the middle of North Dakota and see how they react. <laughs> but the crazy thing was that for most of the country according to this map, the uh, their favorite fast food was this place called Mod M-O-D. Mm-hmm. I had some friends on Twitter who knew, you know, about my foodie background. And they're like, so gourmet goober, what's mod? And I'm like, I have mm-hmm. never heard of mod ever. And apparently I wasn't alone to the point where WTF mod was actually trendy. <laughs> and it got so bad that Mod, which turns out to be a pizza place, got in on the act, right? So they're like, no, we had nothing to do with it, but we had everything to do with it because this map is brought to you by Mod. Uh-huh. <laughs> As it turns out, um, eventually Cheddar came clean and they're like, you know, this is not exactly an official survey. Mm, yeah. <laughs> we officially put our fingers in special places. Yes. So... They said, hi, it's us. Um, We kind of made this map for fun in 2018 from a Twitter poll of our followers and not based on published data. In fact, it was really funny because when they actually showed the real map, the real map had most of the country's favorite being (laughs) Chick-fil-A. With, for some reason, remember it had like In-N-Out being like, the fave in Texas instead of Whataburger? Yes. And we're like, dude, there are no in and outs in Texas. That's right. <laughs> Whataburger has an unlock. Um, so clearly it was trolling a lot of people. And clearly this was made up by a certain <laughs> administration, but it, it was not the one you thought. No. So that linked Big Daddy and I to the big question. Dude, WTF is mod. (laughs) So we decided, dude, we have to track down mod because what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. So on Saturday, (laughs) you got up and I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to run some errands. I'm going to come back and we're going to track down the mod in our area. We're going to risk the Rona. We're going to risk the Rona, exactly, to mod. find the local mod. <laughs> As it turns out, there is a mod where we live in Northwest, um, in 
the Northwest Indiana slash Chicago area. Um, there's a couple, but with us, it was what Highland. Yeah. And it so, was in Bougieville. <laughs> Bougieville. And I have to say, what bad? Not sure if it's like my favorite fast food. Yeah, that's right. We jumped in our car. We risked the Rona in the region to partake of mod pizza. So yeah, we found our little old spot. We went in and mind you, our area just opened up is as you would say, like in terms of uh preparedness after COVID and reopening, it reached level four, I believe, which was like they opened up like a lot of the general restaurants, bars as you will, but still there's extremely limited seating and or most restaurants no seating just get your shit and get out so we wound up eating armada in the car because we didn't want it to go cold by the time we made the road trip back home mm-hmm. <laughs> but i have to say i am a big fan of it it was really really good in fact i will talk a little bit later about something that you didn't have a chance to have that i had that it actually was the best thing i ate this week and i got it from mod Really? Yes. <laughs> I was there with you and I had no clue whatever she... Yeah. I kind of sneakily got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I meant to share it with you, but I was I was in a bad way on Sunday morning, so I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's done things. <laughs> but anyway. So yeah, I partook of my, my pizza was a it was pretty much their meat lovers type dish. And it was, it was actually better than I thought it would be because I have partaken of personal pizzas before in various, from various places. And it was either lackluster burnt or was not of any decent quality. And I got to admit this mod pizza was actually, I, I, typified it like going to Subway and getting a pizza for the most part kind of your way. You know, adding a little vegetables and yeah, throwing vegetables on meat lovers. Yeah, that was me. But yeah, I gotta admit, it actually went above my walking in the door low standards. It definitely went over the top and it actually was a pretty decent find. The vegetables for the most part were fresh. The cooking was Done pretty well, and the staff was really fairly cool, you know, cordial with everyone that was there. So I give mod, a, you know, a very good grade. I don't have an A B C D F type thing, but <laughs> it was uh, it was actually pretty decent. I'm I gotta give them credit; they definitely met my expectations and went above. So with that in mind, um, I was just kind of curious to wonder. I mean, obviously the map is way hella off because, again, there's no In-N-Out Burger in um, North Dakota. Oddly enough, um, that's like putting crystals in Minnesota. Yeah, I am surprised how many states that they said that Mod was the favorite. Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Like literally, like. I didn't even know there was a mod anywhere in Illinois. Mm. I'm born and raised in Indiana. I've never heard of it. So the idea that that's the fave. 
I mean, assuming that this is from a Twitter poll, like mm. there's some things that are not a surprise, like Whataburger, of course, being Texas, Culver's, of course, being Wisconsin. Oddly enough, there's only three places that named Wendy's, one place that named Popeye's. There were no Burger Kings. Did you notice that? No, I did not notice, but well. <laughs> only one person had, oh, I'm sorry, two places had Popeye's. One, of course, being Louisiana, where Popeye's was founded. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, as a side note, seriously, if you guys ever have a chance to eat Popeye's in Louisiana, it actually tastes different than it does elsewhere. Really? Yes. They actually, I, like, do something in Louisiana? Like, I don't know what they do. Maybe they really put their foot in it. But. <laughs> yeah, they put, a root, they put a root on the they food. They put a root on the chicken. Like, they actually, you know, actually comes from real chicken bones. When I was in grad school, I went to grad school at the University of Southern Miss in Hattiesburg, and I did my internship on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, um, and and that's just like a hop, skip, and a jump away from New Orleans. I think I mentioned earlier in this podcast that I used to date someone of Creole descent, so I would spend a lot of time in the New Orleans area, in the Louisiana area. Okay. And... The Popeyes there, I don't know if they still do, but back in the day, they would have buffets, right? Mm-hmm. So we would be broke as a joke <laughs> being grad students because, of course, we were. But on Sundays, they would have all-you-could-eat buffet for a single price. Okay. So we would freaking clean up between that and then there's this other place. I don't even know if they still have it. It was a Popeyes ripoff called Cajun's Fabulously Fried Chicken. Okay. Their buffet was off the hook too. It was really good. But I I really got used to eating Popeyes because it was so cheap. You could get a lot of it and you know, sneak some home and you know, that fed you for the week when you went to your internship. So coming back up north, and I was like, Oh yeah, let's get some Popeyes. And I noticed that it tastes different. I don't know how. It's it's not as spicy. Really? Yeah. Nice salty. Mm. No, okay. I I can't put my finger on it, but and it's so funny because I thought I was just crazy in noticing that, right? Mm-hmm. And when I was in grad school, at one point, okay, maybe I shouldn't tell the story because you're here. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing. Hold on, let me go get my weapon. <laughs> it's not. You know what? It's not weird okay. because obviously I didn't marry him. I married you, but. At one point, I came home with the person I was dating, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted him to, he's never been up north. He had never been to the Midwest. That's where I'm from. It was really important for him to see where I I was from. And I remember him coming to stay for the holidays. And we stopped by and got some Popeyes because he was craving it. And we both looked at each other like, Oh, this is not the same. <laughs> this does not taste as good. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't like what you find in Louisiana. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, not surprised Popeye's is a favorite in Louisiana, and it's hella good there. <laughs> really jealous. <laughs> as a person who was, you know, born and for the most part of his life was bred as a Yankee, that's great and all. The only thing I know about Louisiana is never call a Creole a Cajun. Never call a Cajun a Creole. Oh, yeah. 
I, I learned that the hard way. And in fact, one of those awful words I was taught that I still know the curse words, mm-hmm. it's actually related to that. And I'm not going to say it because it's really bad. Okay. <laughs> Y'all hear me now. Look, he taught me. Okay. <laughs> so were there anything that really surprised you? Um, I was surprised that Tim Hortons was so popular in Hawaii. Which is funny because all the Tim Hortons I knew were in Canada, where once again, you love Tim Hortons. <laughs> there are some Tim Hortons here, though. And actually, I, I can't remember. all like maybe in Michigan. No, I think they're just over the border. And I think there's some in New York. Okay. Um, But actually, I think either Tim Hortons owns Burger King. Yeah, they do. Well, or Burger King owns Tim, Tim Hortons. Hortons. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Hortons was great, except that whole milk thing. <laughs> yeah, you're going to catch these milk hands. When we went to Canada, what was it, two years ago now? Yeah. We went and we were so excited. And I wanted to try Tim Hortons. And I was like, okay, I heard their coffee is legendary. I would like an iced coffee because it is, you know, in summer. So we ordered the iced coffee in, in Canada, apparently at the Tim Hortons. They just automatically put the milk in unless you tell them otherwise. Whole milk. And at Tim Hortons, there are no soy or almond or any type of substitute. At least it was at the time when we were there. Yeah. Forget your coconut milk. Forget <laughs> your soy milk. Forget your own milk. You won't catch real cow milk right now. <laughs> so it was so funny because I would order it and they would hand it to me. And I would be like, oh, wait, you didn't ask what kind of milk I wanted. And the lady behind the counter is like, what do you need? It's milk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we we were laughing the entire time we were there because you know T would be like, "Do you want some more iced coffee?" And I'm just like, "Sure." And then we googled it, and they're like, "No, we we don't. We don't do this. We don't do the soy milk thing." But there was a Starbucks, and at one point I had to go to the Starbucks because I wanted a latte, and they had like almond milk. And I was like, these are first world problems. Yes. <laughs> they got very comical with, you know, you know, the little American coming for her almond milk. <laughs> you're going to catch this titty. <laughs> you're going to get this cow, right? <laughs> yeah, you're going to get this cow. This cow is providing milk for you. You're going to take it in this Tim Hortons. <laughs> you know, the other thing, speaking of things that kind of got our attention this week was there was a guide recently that was put out that shared the top 50 states and the candies that are popular in all 50 states. Oh, yes. So Big Daddy actually brought this to my attention um, because... I am good for something. (laughs) We were actually really shocked by some of the things that came up. So, for example... um, most of the places, first of all, most of them is what you would expect. So they're divided between M&Ms and Skittles, or mm-hmm. as my little brother used to say, fruity M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> M&Ms are just, fr- or Skittles are just fruity M&Ms. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they are by far the most popular. But then you had some places that were really kind of random. So like, for example... In Delaware, their favorite was cabbage, or sorry, Sour Patch Kids. 
Sour Patch Kids. Okay, good for Delaware. <laughs> In Kentucky, their favorite was Swedish Fish. Didn't I expect that? Me neither, because I got to be honest, I don't know anyone who actually really loves Swedish Fish. Do the Swedish like Swedish Fish? I don't think it's actually Swedish. I just think they name it that. It's kind of like how German chocolate cake isn't from Germany. It's actually the name of the guy who created the chocolate blend. Damn. Mind blown. Wait, you didn't know that? No. German chocolate cake isn't German. Okay, I learn something <laughs> new every day. I love German chocolate cake. I thought the Germans did something cool. <laughs> The Germans do something cool all the time, and Bavarian cake is actually really good. But yeah, um, to be perfectly honest, the German in the German chocolate cake name is actually named for the person who came up with it. Good for them. Same time. I thought it was German. Damn. <laughs> okay, so one minus for the German. <laughs> You're just still mad because of the fact that Nope. <laughs> the tall German. Nope. Not playing that game today. <laughs> yeah, it's named for, in fact, the person wasn't even German. He was English-American. He was a chocolate maker, and his name was Samuel German. Oh. In Mercy fact, you. it used to be called German's chocolate cake, like apostrophe S, and eventually they dropped the S. The more you know. <laughs> yeah. Learning is half the battle. Yes. <laughs> Wasn't there some like, yeah, but you would think like, okay, so all these states are like either Skittles or M&M's. Like, or peanut butter cups. Oh, yeah, Reese's peanut butter cups, yeah, which is a good favorite of mine. But like, what about the Butterfingers, the Baby Roos? Oh, I think there was a Snickers in there. Yeah, there was a couple of Snickers. I think Maryland's favorite was Snickers. Michigan's favorite was Hershey Bar. You would think Boston would love their baked beans, but no. No, no, no. Although, just Boston-based beans are hideous. <laughs> I was so bad yeah. when I was a little kid. I was just like, oh, these don't taste like beans at all. They're quite confusing. Damn. Jolly Ranchers was mentioned quite a bit, um, a few times. So that Vermont and West Virginia, um, they like their Jolly Ranchers. I thought um, nobody pops off nihilators. You know what? That is true. I was kind of confused by that. Yeah. I'm thinking of, like, you know, the candy that I was used to growing up. You know, I admit, yeah, I like the Baby Ruth and the Butterfingers. But what about, yeah, things like, yeah, the nihilators and, hell, the Bazooka Joes. Okay, first of all, I don't think anyone likes Bazooka Joes. Okay, just me. I love Those things? Them. Yeah. Oh my gosh, can you even chew a bazooka go? I used to chew a couple of them at a time. <laughs> oh my god, those were evil. <laughs> I also used to read the comics, but that was me. Maybe I was the goofy one. I was a jughead of this group. But yeah, Bazooka Joes. Man, I'm trying. I'm going back way, way in my, my list here. Big Lee Chew. I, I, was, I was killing that. Actually, no one named Big Lee Chew. You know, they're stupid. can we talk about now laters for a moment? Sure. We call them that, but that's not their name. They're actually now and later. But I don't know anybody. Like when I was a child, you know, <laughs> everyone I knew called them now laters. Yeah, growing up, hey, 
in the hood, we we was always like, yeah, just go and get a couple nylons in our pockets. Yeah, we go to the little penny candy store. Like you know, we also had a running joke about for some reason somebody was always selling it, and it wouldn't always come from the most reputable places. But yeah, nylons. I can't really say anything because you know my little history of selling candy to my classmates. Little entrepreneur over here. Look, okay. Immediate markup. <laughs> they bought it. <laughs> yeah, because you know you'd be up in class and you want some nine layers of some gum or whatever, you know. First of all, I never sold it in class, and okay, I probably shouldn't admit this, but it's years later now, and I can't get in trouble. Yeah, I was like, they're gonna put down your record. There is no permanent record. <laughs> I eventually learned that. Now I find out. I know. How scared were we of permanent records when we were children? Mm-hmm. And now you're an adult and you apply for jobs and no one really asks if you sold candy to your classmates and upcharge them. Maybe I should admit this because for some weird reason, I'm Facebook friends with some people who knew me back in the day. Mm-hmm. But before I moved to said white neighborhood i lived in a mostly black neighborhood that was down the street from a place that we used to call lenders right they there are no more lenders anymore thank you little lionel jefferson (laughs) but lenders was kind of like a midwestern bodega so in the way that you know they sold penny candy you can usually get like cheap ice cream and you know baked goods and bread and stuff cheese but there was no like deli, right? There's no like place you could go get sandwiches and stuff like you would a regular bodega. So I would go and you could get really super cheap candy, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking like the good candy, like the Astro Pops and the Now Laters and things like that. So <laughs> my, without going into how freaking old I really am, where I grew up, my generation was actually the one who integrated a lot of the schools. Cause what happened is going back to systemic racism, Brown and the board of education saying, yeah, you need to have people of different color in your neighborhoods. And they're like, Oh, the hell with that back home in Indy. So instead of sending their kids to the public school, they created townships. And so everyone who lived in the township, that is where you went to school. And eventually someone was like, hey, these townships are all mostly white. (laughs) Let's go ahead and bust some kids in them. And I was part of the kids that were bust in. And so my classmates would see me eat some of this candy and Mm. they've never seen it before. And of course, me being the entrepreneur that I am, or as my father used to call me, Little Rockefeller, I (laughs) decided to offer some of the candies to my classmates. At a freemium. <laughs> so I would mark it up. <laughs> mm. And so the key is you couldn't sell it at school, right? In front of everybody because you get in trouble. But occasionally because I was one of the smart kids, I got to go overnight to computer camp. And you had your candy. You took your candy with you and they couldn't look after you. And so that's when I did it. I basically like sold it to them at camp. You went to computer school. (laughs) Yes, I did. Thank you, Boogie. (laughs) (laughs) You went to computer school. 
Unlike Boogie, there's something about me that says that I've been to computer school. Yes. <laughs> you have the certificate. <laughs> Actually, the funniest thing about, I know, like, okay, I admit, I was not the person, but because I was the dude who was the one that was selling the pencils. All right. Because in school, we always, you know, I was the kid who always had the pens and the pencils, you know, was gold, but also the kid who also sold, you know, the random M&Ms or Nile's or whatever in school, you know, on the low, you know, and his locker was, was a genius. But you know who the most popular person was during the summer? The ice cream man. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing. My ice cream man was entrepreneur. Man, he was an entrepreneur because not only did he sell ice cream, he sold candy. Oh, now see. Dude, that was the man right there. That's right. <laughs> Not only could you get ice cream, but you could also get, you know, you can get them not just the regular M&M's, like the, like the movie box M&M's. Yeah, we're talking about the, they have the movie box size, like the ones that were in the paper box. Ooh. Yeah. He'd be selling them and some jujubes, um, the snow cone. Yeah, it'd be good, like, you know, crunch it up, put that on top of the the ice cream and stuff. Oh, he was a very, very popular man. The hardest thing was, you know, like they said in the A Murphy's kit, you had to kind of run and catch him because he would play you because he knew he could mess with you. But yeah, he was a money making brother back didn't, then. Didn't he? Okay. Didn't you say that there was someone in your neighborhood as well who like sold candy? Okay. We really, okay. Maybe this wasn't the greatest thing for like, Children who could have gotten snatched up, but yes, every once in a while there was an old lady, um, of Asian descent, uh, who was literally right down the street. It was between my house and the bus stop. From time to time, on our way to the bus stop, we would stop by the the front of this lady's house, and she would be selling candy out her front door. And yeah, we would get. Some things that we would put in our backpacks and go to school with. I remember you telling me this, and I was blown away because you just said, well, yeah. And it turns out that a lot of neighborhoods had the candy lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I felt ripped off. I was like, wait a minute. There was no candy lady where I live. And I remember we were talking about this in my dad's house, or mom and dad's house. And they're like, well, there are no candy people in the white neighborhood. <laughs> You're expected to go to the store. <laughs> Cause dad's like, there was a candy lady in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. I feel ripped off. <laughs> but that's okay, because she would have been competition for me. She would have been my competition little... for you. Yeah, because I had a good thing going. Cause I even figured out like the Jolly Ranchers. Now they're like big Jolly Ranchers. Mm. Or no, no, they're small Jolly Ranchers. But remember back in the day, you used to be those big long ones? Yeah. So those were really popular because you could not get that anywhere except our side of town. Okay. Man, I spent a couple dollars of Jolly Ranchers and I would just clean up. (laughs) Told you, the markup is real. The markup is real and I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing I, I remember about the candy lady was, I think it was just jacked up, like, maybe they were trying to, like, peddle it to us, like, everywhere, because 
if you think about it, not like around the neighborhood we're in, you can not only get it from the candy lady, you can get it from the gas station. And we're talking about not just your regular conventional, you know, M&Ms, Skittles. We're talking about like, you know, the penny candy. You can get that, you know, think about it, all the different places you're getting it. The gas station, uh, you know, random people's houses. You can get, remember, like, we went up to that, the, near the beach, the, uh, the pizza store. Oh, yeah. You can get at the pizza store. You can get it at the bodega. You can pick it up hell anywhere, if you really think about it. And you know, the bodega, even now, they have, like, that good old-fashioned candy, which is awesome. That's right. They have the Nautilus. You can get it at just <laughs> random place. You, right up here, you can get it at the chicken place. <laughs> Penny candy. Oh, my gosh, you're right. That's right. You can get a two-piece... <laughs> And some now ladies, keeping it real. I'm sure our listeners at home is like, where did this episode go, really? Oh, we're just all over the place. <laughs> we're keeping it goofy, you know, while we're here and serious. You know what? We we needed we needed this laugh after the first segment. Let's just say that. Now we about to destroy that too. <laughs> yes, because the end of the week, of course, we um by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be on June sixteenth. But we decided to talk about Juneteenth a little bit early because it's something that recently got into the news. And we're giving you time to prepare. First of all, if you're not familiar with Juneteenth, which I understand a good part of the country is not. Um, And for those people that do not live in this country, it is an American thing. So you get to learn. Right. It is, in fact, a uniquely American thing. Uh, because Juneteenth is actually, um, in its nutshell, an African-American celebration that takes place um, celebrating the end of slavery. And it kind of has a very interesting history. So, for example, most people were taught that President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, and yay, we're free. The Emancipation Proclamation. Is yeah. that what I just said? Well, yes, that's what you said. Okay. Go ahead. I, I was like, did I say it wrong? No, it just kind of came out a little funny, but yeah. The Emancipation <laughs> Proclamation. Proclamation. Yes. Yes. So it was actually something that was signed um, by um, Lincoln. But what most people don't know, or a lot of people don't know, is even though it was signed, it didn't take effect right away. And the reason being is he did not have the ability to actually enforce it in the Confederate States. Right. So almost three years later, <clears throat> on June, what was it? June 19, 1865, the Union Army came to Galveston, Texas, mm-hmm. and he let the peop- they let the slaves know at that point that you were free. You yeah. are no longer in bondage. And kind of this, took two years of, uh, I don't know, of harvest to finally get to the, uh, the people down there. Yeah, that was really messed up because apparently they could have let them go even a little bit earlier than what they did. Well, they could have let us go anyway. Mm-hmm. But what actually happened was that they basically wanted to have extra time for their harvest. And so in Texas, they basically negotiated, let us get one more, let us get one more time with our slaves just for old time's sake. I'm being 
sarcastic, but that's what it is. And so basically speaking, they then decided to free us. They didn't really decide to free us. They were just kind of like... They were sort of forced to do it. We were kind of informed at that moment. We were just sort of grateful that that happened. We like to thank our, um, you know, I'm sorry, our ancestors, you know, thank their masters for, you know, finally getting around to telling us. But, and all jokes aside, and I know that we're laughing, but to be honest, we've... You have to laugh through pain. You have to laugh through pain. And, um... The Emancipation Proclamation was essentially contingent on the Union Army winning the Civil War, which didn't officially happen until April um, 1865. Right. So even after that, there was still some time until the fact that the Union Army had to enforce emancipation. And at the time in Texas, there were approximately 250,000 people who were still held in slavery until the troops led by General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, as I said before, to notify that all slaves were now free. Um, the order, which is known as General Order Number 3, said the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation of the executive of the United States, our slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection here to all, therefore, um, existing between them that became between employer and hired labor. So. Oh, we're hired labor. They hired us, huh? Let's not go into that because there are still books around the country that teach that. I'm really sorry. Yeah. So. Slavery didn't eventually end in all states in December 1865 at the ratification of the 13th Amendment. Although, just as a side note, the 13th Amendment did not end slavery entirely. In fact, there is a brilliant documentary that I encourage everyone to watch called 13th um, that was done by Ava, um, Ava DuVernay that goes over how slavery is still legal in one sense for those who are incarcerated. So that's why as we're talking about um, liberation for all of us, we also have to talk about the um, pipeline that exists leading into mass incarceration, because in essence, it's a form of legalized slavery. We won't go into that now, but just know that's a thing and watch the documentary. It's brilliant. You know, just ruined my joke. <laughs> you know, there are some places as I have visited Mississippi and Alabama who some of them brothers and sisters, they look like they were just told last week <laughs> Stop. that it was over. And because it's, it's just a different, maybe me as a, you know, little up. Up at the Yankee, you know, maybe I'm thinking too much, but maybe the problem is me. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a thing, yes. And the fact that every state they finally get around to saying, "Hey, we're going to abolish slavery." Um, I don't know if on all fifty states if it's off the books. Well, actually, it's funny that you say that because when I was in grad school in Mississippi, during that time. They actually just abolished slavery. They this just, was in the late mid We're not going to talk about when because I'm hella old. Yeah, but yeah. the point I'm trying to make is they decided 
to finally do it after going through, I don't know, naming state flowers, mm-hmm. <laughs> naming a state song. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll abolish slavery. We just have some other things to do. Yeah. And then many generations later, they just decided, oh, well, we did everything we could. Yeah. Damn it, we'll know. just abolish it. But going back to why Juneteenth is so important, um, because even though it is not a national holiday, it really should be, because it's really a celebration of a time that, you know, a group of people were able to at least start the process of getting the promise that is so many people revere in the, in the Constitution. And then today, Juneteenth is a celebration amongst many in the African-American cultures. So amongst the traditional things that are served at Juneteenth mills, um, first of all, if you ever get a chance to like look up or participate in Juneteenth, you may notice that there's a lot of red. In fact, we talked about this, remember in the previous episode where we talked about the red Kool-Aid? Yes. Where <clears throat> red is actually a very important part of Juneteenth, whether it's with watermelon being served, strawberry soda, which is kind of a traditional drink. Um, the idea that the red symbolizes our culture's resilience. And then in terms of food that is traditionally served at um, Juneteenth, given its ties to um, the Texas tradition, but then also um, where it was originally celebrated, Things such as barbecue, collard greens, and sweet potatoes. Of course, we said anything red because, again, it really symbolizes our resilience, the blood loss for the struggle for emancipation. Um, Tea cakes, which is actually something interesting. Tea cakes is actually a traditional thing as well. In fact, it was actually, if you ever read Zero Neal Hurston's Their Eyes of Watching God, Mm-hmm. She actually writes about how tea cakes is part of the celebration as well. I love tea cakes. Yes, that's why I mentioned it. <laughs> In fact, tea cakes were actually, did you know that they were made about 200 years ago? No, I did not know that. And at the time, slaves used the ingredients that they had, molasses instead of sugar and lard instead of butter and putting it together. Hmm. In fact, if you ever get a chance to, there's this really great narrative about it on the Juneteenth national holiday. It's a blog um, spot that was put out back in 2018, but they talked to um, someone who's a food historian, but they talked about the fact that the tea cake was sort of an essential thing because it was like a sugar cookie with spices and it's the Southerners equivalent of a Madeline. So it was something that they say it's more than a cookie experience. And it's something that's closely associated with African-American culture as tortillas or with Latino culture and bagels with Jewish heritage. So they're not much to look at, she said. Um, and this is Kathy Grigsby Bates. Um, but they're often not perfectly shaped, but it's something that is very much ingrained, particularly in traditional um, Southern Black culture as well. So the tea cake that you grew up loving from your Grandma Brown actually has a significant tie to Juneteenth. And learn, I did not know that. I am, <laughs> I'm actually right now, I'm completely, my mind is completely thrown by that. I did not know that. Yeah. So 
Let me ask a question, because here's the thing. Even though my family is from the South, um, growing up in the Midwest, I know where I grew up, Juneteenth was never spoken of. Um, I learned of Juneteenth and going to visit my family down in Mississippi when I would spend some time with them over the summer. So although I think given the importance of everything that's going on this year and certainly the craziness of, okay, I'm trying to figure out if we're going to talk about the person in the White House. Um, I'm just going to say the person in the White House who occupies it now, he was, yes, occupant, (laughs) was actually going to have a rally on Juneteenth, which I found horrifying. And Tulsa, by the way, which was the home of one of the worst tragedies in our culture's history. Um, Massacres. The massacres um, with Black Wall Street and what happened. But I I know that for me, we had talked about that we were going to celebrate Juneteenth this year because we felt it was important given everything that happened with George Floyd and everything just kind of to reconnect. But I was curious, did you celebrate Juneteenth growing up, Big Daddy? Was that something that was especially since you grew up in the chocolate city. See, the thing about it was because of history, as you would say, yes, I grew up in the chocolate city. I think our, we were 70% African-American, but we observed it, but it wasn't so much celebrated. Was it taught in school? Because it wasn't even taught where we were. That was the thing. It wasn't really, I would say, taught it was we knew about it it was actually talked about let's put it that way and it actually came from people within our community like we said okay you know today is Juneteenth we learned the history of it but it wasn't so much like when you you know when you're handed a book and nowhere did it speak of really Juneteenth it was just maybe like you know the word Juneteenth maybe appeared in certain history books or, you know, social studies. But in terms of things we celebrated throughout the year, it actually came from like places such as uh, communities of faith, mm-hmm. like in the churches. And we would have during June, we would have like little get together, social gatherings. And we would reminisce about, you know, what would happen Juneteenth and we would be told, but it actually came from like, family members and USA community leaders, not so much from uh, the schools themselves. So really just the, the push for Juneteenth really has only come recently. And you know, that's really kind of interesting because again, since after everything that's happened with mm-hmm. George Floyd and the resulting aftermath of the protests and people really taking a stand and demanding our, equality um that for the first time i've noticed that there's a lot of businesses now that are recognizing it so okay. nike just announced that they're identifying juneteenth as a holiday okay um i literally just read right now the fifth third bank they're closing early friday in observance of juneteenth <laughs> which is astounding to me <laughs> I'm laughing not because I'm like all in, you know, awe of Nike or Fifth Third Bank, 
this goes back to the earlier conversation of everybody trying to play the program yeah, for the new cycle. And I'm willing to say that unless something occurs that really makes this a constant thing, I don't know if let's say in 2021 or even 2025 that that would stay. Well, you know what? I, I would hope it would be um, simply because I think that in terms of holidays, in terms of identifying our role that we play, this is a significant part of our history, not just for us being Black Americans, but for the country as a whole. Yeah. And so I think, honestly, if we're going to be seen as fully, I don't, I don't want to say fully formed members of society, it's just and again, I, I'm kind of getting stuck here, but talking, but essentially in a nutshell, for us to be considered part of society um, in every way that we deserve. Well, let's take it this way. You would want us to identify Juneteenth because you, you would want to celebrate that. You would. And, and bear with me, audience, as you will, if I would wonder if they would want, like most of these businesses would be celebrating Juneteenth in the same fashion as, and once again, please forgive my ignorance, if they would be celebrating that like they would Rosh Hashanah or Independence Day or hell, Labor Day. Would they celebrate the same, Not, I mean, not in the same form of celebration, but within the fact it is a a paid holiday or at least an observed holiday nationally. Right. It would be nice. And I would like to see people observe it in the right way. Mm. Um, by the way, if you are interested in learning more about Juneteenth, there are some really great resources I can recommend. Um, Michael Twitty, um, who is an incredible writer, he wrote The Cooking Gene. Um, which won the James Beard Award. I've spoken about him several times on the podcast. It's my dream to interview him for the podcast one day. But he has this really great blog called Afro Culinaria. And he actually shares some site insight on Juneteenth on some past posts. So I recommend checking that out. Also, Henry Louis Gates Jr., who if you're familiar with him, he has that great show on PBS where he talks about individuals and their past histories and that of their families. Um, he was part of a PBS um, featurette where it talks about Juneteenth. Okay. And he, actually, he just retweeted it. So if you follow him on Twitter, you can actually see that as well. Um, I do implore you if you want to celebrate Juneteenth, and I personally think it's something that we should all celebrate, whether or not you are of the African-American community. Let me just say as a side note, please do it the right way. My biggest fear is this is going to turn into single de Mayo. Oh, goody. <laughs> we actually, I, uh, I, I just kind of dread what some of the Juneteenth celebrations are going to look like. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. But I actually put down, there's money on the table. I'm not saying it's a bet bet, you know, because I don't want to, you know, to say that money would be exchanged, but I have a bet saying that there's going to be a, 
at some point on June 19th or June 20th afterwards that there will be something on social media or somewhere where somebody's going to act a fool. And I put the bet down that somewhere somebody is going to show up, whether it be in blackface or they're going to have a watermelon in their hands and they're going to try to say that it's associated with Juneteenth and try to pass it off. You know, the sad thing is that it's probably going to happen. Um, that said, I'm hoping that as more people, if if people are truly serious about wanting to improve the life of the lives of everyone and be more in the equality vein, I don't know why I'm struggling with saying this, but essentially I would hope that they would educate themselves and be respectful. That's a, you know, that some people won't be able to act right. But it is kind of nice to see that there are a lot of organizations now that are commemorating Juneteenth. So JT, JC Penny just announced it. Quicken just announced it. Oddly enough, the Kansas City Chiefs just announced it. Okay, I'm not sure if I buy that. But... <laughs> that's, that's great, but who are the chefs? <laughs> um, but... Um, but yeah, this is another thing where you're going to celebrate it, but not practice equality in your boardrooms or with your employees. You're not really helping anyone. Yeah, I know as we're coming back from... It's a start. Yeah, it's a start. But once again, celebrating Juneteenth does not mean that certain corporations, sorry, not corporations, certain offices, this isn't a day to just show up with fried chicken. Please it, don't. It doesn't work that way. And please, for the love of God, if you're invited to the cookout, leave the raisins out of your potato salad. (laughs) 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 Okay, I tell you what, on that note, maybe we should take a break. (laughs) Yep. And then when we return, we will end out our podcast as we do every podcast with the best thing we eat this week. You're listening to The Gourmet Goober, and we will be right back. Hey guys, this is JJ Outlaw and T Outlaw, and we're the co-hosts with the Gourmet Goober podcast with a very important question: Are you a little gourmet or a lot wretched? <laughs> or maybe you consider yourself gumbo worthy? Hey, if the answer is yes to any of those questions, then you need to tell the world with your very own Goober swag, from mugs and aprons to t-shirts and sweatshirts. It's the perfect way to show your love for the Gourmet Goober podcast and, you know, help us keep the lights on in the process. <laughs> so if you are a little bit gourmet and a lot ratchet, head on over to gooberswag.com. That's gooberswag.com and get your very own Goober gear today. Tell them Big Daddy sent you. That's right. Tell them. Everybody, this is JJ Outlaw and T Outlaw, and we are back with the Gourmet Goober podcast with the last segment of today's show where we detail the best thing we ate this week. And this week, um, Big Daddy and I have some very different choices <laughs> <laughs> different, separate, yes. Mm. So, do you want to share the best thing you ate this week first? Sure. All right, kids, this is uh, going to be a little different. Please forgive me. It's not so much the fact that it was a particular place 
or a specific recipe, but sometimes as we find out through our food preparation and cooking that sometimes happy accidents become interesting food choices. So that's the best thing I ate this week was some ribs I made. Uh, I started off with a traditional thought of, okay, I'm just going to make some Southern ribs, you know, maybe a little Kansas City style, but then the goober said, as opposed to smoking it, why don't you put it in the oven? Just do a nice, simple um, oven bake. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I'll flip it from uh, traditional Southern to kind of, <clears throat> sorry, I wanted to go Korean. But apparently, like, if you leave me in the kitchen with nothing better to do and limited resources, you start throwing everything but the kitchen sink at it. So, weirdly enough, I've made my ribs with paprika, chili powder, onion and garlic powder, uh, slathered it in uh, Worcestershire sauce and a mix of soy sauce. But then I got a little creative and said, okay, every once in a while I want to do something with my pork. So, I tossed in... Once I like slather and mustard and a light slather mustard because I was inappropriately touching my meat, I decided to like, once I got that done, I said, I'm going to put a little peanut butter, <laughs> uh, traditional peanut butter over the top. <laughs> Apparently the goober really likes when I say I inappropriately touch meat. No, no. There's a whole story behind that because we will be in the grocery store shopping together. Back before the Rona, where we went grocery shopping together, and we'd be in the meat department, and Big Daddy would lean in and go, you know, I could totally get that pot roast, you know, cook it up real fine, and appropriately touch the meat. <laughs> and I would crack up laughing, and people would look at me like I'm nuts, but it's your fault. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I I really like to dry rub my meat and, you know, in touching meat, sometimes you touch it in places that it probably, <laughs> while alive, didn't want to be touched. But it makes for good cooking. But thus, yeah, so with my ribs, I, you know, after I put, you know, a nice light layer of, of mustard on top, then I uh, decided to put over the top of that, I put a nice light, um, rub of sorry i'm getting ready to say mayonnaise and it was not mayonnaise it was peanut butter a light uh rinse of peanut butter and then i realized that i mixed the peanut butter in with something that I didn't plan and that was cookie butter cookie butter from trader joe's i don't Which know what sounds made me insane start. but let me just say as someone who enjoyed the ribs greatly the cookie butter added something. <laughs> it was good. It really enough made for an interesting mix. No, it was really, really good. Yeah, so I like to give a shout out to myself for having a happy accent of ribs with cookie butter, peanut butter, and our new favorite. Actually, it's not really, really new favorite with us, but I wanted to go a little crazy. And I also introduced to my ribs hot honey sauce. Oh my god. If you guys have not had hot honey, it is like our new obsession. Like, is this the second or third thing of hot honey we've ordered? 
I think second, right? This is our second thing of hot honey. Yeah. So it's called Mike's Hot Honey. And it's just traditional honey, but it has like a little bit of a kick to it, like heat. Um, and it is so good. Yes. What was it, the thing that I made with the hot honey? Was it the honey garlic chicken? Yeah, it definitely is a good mixture with chicken. Chicken definitely takes a good liking to it because you it sneaks up on you. You don't expect it because it comes off like when it first hits your tongue, it comes off sweet. But somehow after a few seconds or a, up to a minute, the heat kind of comes up and it catches the back of your tongue when you don't expect it. But yes, just to keep it short, the best thing I ate this week was some ribs where I just went straight crazy and add hot honey and a mixture of peanut butter and Trader Joe's cookie butter. So <laughs> that's the best thing I ate this week. And back to the gourmet goober. <laughs> I'm just surprised that you admitted that you put cookie butter in it because I was eating it. I'm like, wow, what is this? And it kept like bugging me. And finally, you admitted that you accidentally put cookie butter in it. And I got to say, yay cookie butter. <laughs> I normally just buy it and then I feel really bad because I eat it with the spoon, even though I know I'm not supposed to. Mm -hmm. Or else it's really good in waffles. So never thought for ribs, but in an odd, weird sort of way, trust us, it is really, really good. Yes. <laughs> well, for me, actually, the best thing I ate this week came from a little shop in Bridgeport, um, which is one of the over 70 neighborhoods that exists in the Chicagoland area. It's a place that's sort of a Southside tradition for over 40 years, and it's called Maxwell Street Depot. Now, if you don't know about Maxwell Street Depot, um, it's off of 31st Street. I'll put the link to the address in the show notes, as though we always do. Um, it's a unique little place. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, usually when I hit up the Maxwell Street Depot, I do so because, let me just explain. So it's it's like two restaurants in one, right? Mm -hmm. So there's one side that's only cash only, and you can get hot dogs, you can get grilled cheese, I think. Um, you can get pork chop sandwich on the bone pork chop sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking some old school funky stuff and it's like really crazy cheap. So for like $4, you get like, for example, a cheeseburger and fries. And then like for an extra buck, you can get a drink. Okay. It's one of the best deals, honestly, in Bridgeport to, and best deals in Chicago. And the burgers, and you've had the burgers, they're, like, crazy good. Yeah, I will admit, going to, like, a Maxwell's for anything, like, in Chicago is real, like, you know, with Maxwell Street bullishes and whatever. Yeah, but this place in particular, it is crazy, crazy good. And it's good for the price. So a lot of times, a lot of blue-collar people will come and park in their parking lot, walk up, because it's a walk-up area. There's no place for you to sit in, so it's perfect if you're social distancing. You get your food, you go in your car, you've eaten, you eat your food. I've done it many times before when I used to work in Bridgeport. It is wonderful. Yeah, it's really good for the, you know, a lunchman special. You come, yeah. you get your food, you eat it, then you get back to work. Exactly. 
Now the other side um, serves pizza. And so you can get pizza by the slice. You can get a slice of big pizza, but then they also have sandwiches. And unlike the burger fries, hot dog area, pork chop sandwiches, here, if you want to use your debit card, you can. Um, but the thing is, a lot of people come for the pizza and they don't realize that they also have sandwiches. So in addition to the sandwich I tried, um, which was really super good, they also have meatball, chicken parmesan, um, eggplant parmesan. Um, so again, really delicious choices. Some shishi. Yes. So the sandwich that I got was their breaded steak, which if you've not had a breaded steak, my friend, you're missing out. That's one of the wonderful things that you can get in Chicago that just makes the city such a great place for food. And so for $7, you can get your a drink. I got a bottle of water. Um, Shishi. A really substantial, large breaded um, steak sandwich. And then a, a scoop of fries. And it was every bit as delicious as I remember from Maxwell Depot. I haven't had it since COVID hit because, <laughs> you know, we've been sheltering a crates across the border. But on this particular day, I was going to the office. I thought I was going to be there for just a couple hours to check some things and pick up some of the additional um, letterhead so I can send some thank you notes to some funders. I wound up being there all damn day because I kept getting calls about budgets and things like that. And it was just like, oh my God, I'm starving. I haven't eaten anything. So literally on the drive home, I stopped there and I'm so glad I did. Um, when I say it's one of the best foodie secrets in that area, it truly is. So if you were happen to drive around in Bridgeport, three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> Middle of the afternoon, doesn't matter. They're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The breaded steak sandwich at Maxwell Street Depot, best thing I ate this week. Now, going back to what I said before, um, the second best thing I ate this week, that distinction actually goes to Mod Pizza. <laughs> they have this little thing that's called a no-name cake. And it's hard to describe what the no-name cake is. It's like, it's kind of like a ding-dong, actually. Hmm. Remember those Toastus ding-dongs? Yeah. Where it was like a little chocolate cake and it had like the filling inside and it's covered with that like chocolate fondant. Well, this is something, it's literally like a ding-dong, but it's fresher as they make it or whatever. But, oh my God, it instead of like that traditional like stuff that they normally put in it, like a ding dong, like that weird marshmallow type thing that's sometimes flavorless, the stuff that's in the middle. No, this one had a really a rich vanilla buttercream center, the chocolate glaze. I mean, it was incredible. That she did not share with that dude. Okay. First of all, it was really small. It fed in my purse. And so I was going to give you a bite, but you were asleep. And the next thing I know, it was gone. She was like, oh, <laughs> but he was asleep. Oh, but he was away. Not even a, not even a taste. <laughs> not even like a corner. Just something. No, she's like, 
Well, now we have to go back to Mod because some pizza's really good and we know what the fuck Mod is. So. Oh, hell, I'm too lazy. I'm just going to find me a ding-dong. <laughs> no, no, they're way better than the ding-dong. Okay. You, they look like a ding-dong, but it tastes way better. So I would recommend the no-name cake if you have a chance. Now I want a ding-dong. <laughs> okay, so now that we're completely off the rails and Big Daddy wants a ding-dong, where can they find you on social media? Hi, kids. You can find me on social media <laughs> on Twitter at T Outlaw and on Instagram at T Outlaw Chelsea Wells. You can always find me, JJ Outlaw, on Twitter as JJ Outlaw. The Gourmet Goober's Instagram account is Gourmet Goober. Please drop us a line. Tell us if you've ever had Mod's Pizza or their no-name cake. <laughs> Share with us how you celebrate Juneteenth and everything in between by emailing us at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. We will be back in two weeks for another episode. And until then, thank you so much for listening. And Happy eating, but let me just say that we played the this particular episode for seriousness and silliness, but... Overall, we like to believe that we love everyone and we were just telling our truth this week. Yes. So thank you for letting us tell our truth. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, please stay safe and happy eating. Yep.